Amen. Thank you for uh, choir for leading us in that uh, beautiful rendition and that reminder of our unity that we have in Jesus Christ all together. It's it's fun to be on a a team and in a group that is unified in something beyond ourselves. And we experienced that recently, just two weeks ago, yeah, at the Super Bowl, right? Sort of a fun thing, right? When all people are gathered together cheering. I even think we have a picture. Of that that we've seen of cheering for the the Bengals and being on a winning team. Yeah, there we go. You remember that two weeks ago that we were cheering for the winning team? Or how quickly we forget that energy that we had just two weeks ago. Or we were, you know, excited and celebrating together. Well, today... Uh, are the, the passage that we've been using throughout this series, that 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, uh, where we are, ma- 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where we're made new in Christ. Uh, one of the things that we're, is made new for us is that we're part of a new team. We are, are now on a team that is our highest, our highest priority, and it's called the church. When we come to Jesus, we become part of this team. Let's let's say this passage um, together uh, that uh, uh, reminds us that when we come to Jesus, everything is made new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When Jesus takes hold of our life... He makes everything new. And so we become part of the church. That's now the team that we come to celebrate with. Every time that we gather, you recognize what we're here. This in a way is a way for us to express and enjoy and celebrate the goodness of God who has saved us from sin and made us one with him and one together. The, the, The church, our team celebrates and serves Jesus together forever. That's that's who we are. That's the purpose of our team. And in a way, this is our huddle. This is our our place to, to gather and be reminded of just how grand and wonderful and beautiful Jesus is. Our passage that we'll look at this morning is in First uh, Peter, uh, chapter one, starting with verse uh, twenty-two, uh, through the middle of chapter two, through verse ten. Um, the uh, can be found on your pew Bible if you'd like to turn there to uh, one thousand fourteen, or you can follow along on the screen, or at home you can follow along whatever form you'd like. It'll also be on your screen. Let's pray. Almighty God, again, we thank you for your written word that speaks to us of your truth. Thank you for the ways that you draw us to you with one another for all of eternity. So 
give us your guidance today. Continue to correct our course so that we are who you have called us to be individually and as a community. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, now the, the context here. This is in a first century church. Peter is with a, a collection of, of uh, new Christians. And, and so in, in these days, you know, the church had no political clout. I mean, most people didn't even know who they were. They were this small little group that had had this big thing happening in, uh, on Pentecost Sunday. You know, so there's a couple thousand of them. Um, but they were considered a, this cult that believed that their leader had been crucified and then raised from the dead. Yeah, so not really a lot of power outside of themselves. Matter of fact, they got a lot of opposition from folks. Uh, if, they, if folks came to, to Jesus and they professed that, there were a number of them that were then imprisoned or lost their jobs. There was also a good bit of inner turmoil as well. I mean, maybe you can relate, you know, when things start to, the pressure starts to 
be felt on us, you know, and we're, we're not sure what tomorrow holds. We're not sure what the protocols are. We're not sure what the good actions are. If it's best to wear masks, not wear masks, go to work, not go to work, stay at home, quarantine, not. You, you know how that sort of puts pressure internally? You don't. Man, you have really short memories. That's what was happening with the church. Then a lot of pressure from the out and from the in. And Peter, in the midst of that, is proclaiming the primacy of Jesus. And calling all of his followers to be united in him. And that's what we we see here. And the beginning part of the passage is he's talking about individual salvation. You have come to Jesus that this is the good news. This is now your hope. Individual you. From here on out though. Once he moves into verse 20 in our passages. Those yous are not yous. They are y'alls. They are plural. Yeah? And in the Greek we know that. We see it. We don't have that in English. You know, The you is singular or plural. And usually we make it singular. But here he's saying y'all. This has happened to y'all. Because this has happened to y'all, then you must love one another with an earnest love from a pure heart. That, that's, that's what you, we are now to do because we're in Jesus. If we've been purified, then with a sincere brotherly love, love one another. Earnestly. Not, this isn't something that talks about tolerating one another. Or sitting next to one another for an hour and not getting in an argument. This is not token appreciation. I mean, do you hear the language that Peter is using? This is earnest. This is sincere. This is real life sacrificial care for one another. That's the church that Jesus is calling us to be. When the pressure from the outside, the uncertainty of global security is upon us, or the pressure is from the inside, the the power of the cross The power of the resurrection calls a people together that are different in so many ways. Yet they are united, not just with a common statement of faith, but with a heart, a sincere heart, an earnest love for one another. And what I know and have experienced is that that's... uh, that's a challenge. It's a, it's a real hard call to, to be what, what Jesus said. Jesus didn't use the language Peter used. Jesus used the language of family. He, he said, now, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you are, you have a father in heaven and everybody else you see are brothers and sisters if they are in me. They're now your new family. You've heard me say this before. The, the waters of baptism are thicker than the blood of biology. I have blood relatives who do not know Jesus. I am not united with them in the power of the Holy Spirit as I am with anybody else who knows Jesus. 
I will not be with them for the eternal purpose of continuing to serve and love God with other followers of Jesus. They will not be there. I am not united with them, but I am united with anyone who has been baptized in the blood of Jesus Christ. And and I've got some friends that I've had the privilege of meeting followers of Jesus all over the world. And visiting in their homes. I got people who I know love Jesus. They, they love me. They are friends. They are colleagues. But they do not love America. They're not Americans. I've had conversations with them. I've had arguments with them. But I love them in Jesus. And they are my brother and sister in Christ. And I am called to a sincere heartfelt, real love with them. I got friends who, who, who are followers of Jesus who are socialists. They believe that's the right economic system. They love Jesus. And so therefore, I love them. Well, we might disagree. We, we might wrestle. But I love them, or I'm called to love them with a sincere heart. We've got folks here from all different political spectrums, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, those that refuse to vote, those that are very active. And yet, if you're in Jesus, you can't get away from what Peter says here. With an earnest, sincere love, love one another. Because Jesus is what unites us and nothing else. And the good thing is, where that's difficult, where that's difficult for us, you know what that's doing? That's revealing to us the very things we've been confessing all month. It reveals to us our idols. It reveals to us something that's more important than Jesus. If there are people who are followers of Jesus, and you can't love them with a sincere love because of whatever other preference they might have, then that shows you that's an idol more important than Jesus. And the best thing to do there is confess it and let Jesus continue to take over our hearts so that we will be obedient to His way and living into the goodness that He has called us to be and keeping in order the right priorities that God has set for us in Jesus. Now, what uh, Peter then uh, jumps to when he calls us to that kind of love, that kind of sincere, pure, earnest love, then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. See, we as followers of Jesus, we must cease all negative attitudes and talk about other Christians. That's what he says here. Put it away. Stop it. Negative attitude and talk towards other Christians. I mean, it's general. He goes from the general to the specific here. First, he says, um, put away all malice and all anger, all, all evil. Sort of a big word, but that, that kind of anger that we have. To, and again, it's in the context of our loving one another as followers of Jesus. And that's what we're talking about. And this, is, this is in-house stuff, not outside the house. Of the Lord. And so the context here is in the house of the Lord. 
Put away all malice, all deceit, ways that we might deceive or lie towards one another. Hypocrisy, ways that we put on a face towards others, that we're people who we are not to others. Or then it gets even more specific when we have envy and slander. When, when our attitudes uh, begrudge the success or the good things that others might have, who are brothers and sisters in Jesus. Or when we talk negatively, slandering our brothers and sisters in Christ with others. Now, it's all about talking to one another when we have differences and all the rest. Knowing in the fullness of our security that what unites us is Jesus and nothing else. And that's the commitment of our souls. That Jesus is more important than anything else that might bind us together. So... Put that away. Put all of those things away. You know, that, uh, that, that negative attitudes, negative talk about other followers of Jesus. And then, you know what gets me on this is that then Peter, verse 2, he then says, now, this, put this away. It's sort of a negative, you know, put that away. Now, don't you think he usually says, put something on. Paul does that a lot. He says, put this away, put this on. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray for one another. Or I want you to spend time with one another. Or I want... He doesn't do that. You know what he says? Verse 2. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Like a baby longs for milk. You've seen that, right? You've been there? When, well, I've, I've grown up with three of my own babies in my house. And we fostered five babies for about over the course of four years. So we had eight babies in our house over the course of ten years. And every one of them, when they were hungry, they let you know it. Right? It was it. There was nothing else that was important to them, right? You know, let, let, woke, woke me up from sleep on a number of occasions because they longed for that milk. They wanted it. They needed it. Didn't care, didn't care who they woke up, didn't care what, what others thought. They were longing for that milk. That's what Jesus tells us to, or that's what Peter tells us to put on. Doesn't say try to change your attitudes right. He says, man, you need to get to know Jesus. You just gotta keep on falling deeper in love with Jesus. You gotta be overwhelmed with His mercy and His grace, with His priorities, with His values, with His kingdom. You gotta be overwhelmed with His character. Man, you gotta love Him and long for Him and then. We'll be who Jesus says we are. What is it for you that you long for more than Jesus? You know, what are those, those things that, that, that get in the way? Those things that are good things. Again, there's a lot, like we've been confessing, there are a whole lot of good things that become idols in our lives and that we long for. We feel the passion that we have for them. Are there ways that some of those things you feel passion for those that you really don't for Jesus? That's okay. I do too. 
We, we all do. That's our human condition. If we had the right priorities, then we wouldn't need the Bible. We wouldn't need Peter to tell us this. We wouldn't need to be gathering every week to come and gather uh, and hear his word to say, Hey, are you longing for the stuff that is eternal and purposeful and good and gracious and filled with mercy and love and justice and righteousness? Are you longing for him? Because that's where life is found. And that's what Peter is telling them and he's telling us. We long for Jesus like a baby for his milk. Looking forward to this Lent as we spend time week after week really looking at the different prayers of the Bible and and longing for God and how we converse with God and listen um, uh, to to God and and spending time with God during this season and and during the the, the growth groups that we have or with one another in smaller gatherings. Even even we we gather and engage with God together and, and whet the appetite, you know, sort of feed the soul, whet the soul so that we're long. Longing for Jesus in all of our lives. Now, um, uh, Peter then then moves us um, beyond that, that longing for Jesus. And then um, sets, paints a picture for us then of who then, as those that are longing for Jesus, who we are. Uh, Who we are, how we've been made new, how we've been brought together on a new Team. He picks up um, in uh, verse 4 this picture of Jesus being a living stone and each of us who are in him being living stones. And he's going to bind us together into this living house. That's the picture that he's making of us. That Jesus is now binds us together as an example to the world of the power of his love. He, he's the living stone. And what Peter says here, y'all are living stones being put together in a house made of stones. This is a real house in Portugal. Sort of cool, isn't it? They, the big ones are already there. So that represents Jesus. And then they put a whole bunch of little ones around the big ones to make a house. That's what God is doing in us as living stones, being built into a spiritual house that's a testimony to the love and power of Jesus' death and his resurrection. So y'all that are believers who trust in Jesus, he's the living stone, and that those that, that there are those that will obey him and follow him, and then there are others who the living stone will be a stumbling block, who will not follow him. Again, so Peter's making it clear, talking to the people that are followers of Jesus. Now he's going to be building you together into this spiritual house. This is who you are. Then picks it up in verse nine. Our God-given eternal identity are to be a people sold out for Jesus, celebrating God's love and living God's joy. That is who we are. 
That is our identity. A community of people sold out for Jesus, celebrating God's love and living God's joy. Amazed every morning that the sun still comes up and we get to know Jesus. Amazed every time that we gather that even in our sin, Jesus has cleansed us and we are right with God together. Let us shout, let us sing, let us hug and dance. Because what is a greater truth than knowing that? That's security. Now, verse um, 9 and 10, he then gives us four different descriptions of who we are. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you must, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, he, he goes through these different lists, a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, you know, the, the, the race, a, a chosen race, uh, the chosen. God has chosen us to be a, a unique people set, as, set aside for him. For, and the, the word race is a word that we, we use today, um, setting aside people according to race, the color of their skin. You know, there's nothing biological about it, but it's how we humans, we make, put people in groups. Um, in the first century, in biblical times, that's the same thing for Samaritans. They, they were a, a race of, of people. It wasn't really biological, but it was, they were set aside as a people who were a unique group of people, a different group of people. And sometimes we do that to lift people up. Sometimes we lift it to suppress them or oppress them. But that, that's the word for race, how we use it, and the word there. But what, G, what um, Peter is saying, so now you have been chosen to be a unique people according to the ways of Jesus. All other groups, all other races you might be a part of, that is secondary to this. You're a royal priesthood. So you're a priest. The priests are, are the people that stand between God and uh, the people. And now you're, you're a priest of the king. You're the, the highest level of priesthood. Now you are the folks that stand in the gap between others and between God. You know, demonstrating the ways of God to the world and inviting others to come to know God. So you're, you're, you're now that people. You, you are now a holy nation. A holy, again, set apart people. Set apart for God. And, and now your national identity now pales in comparison to your identity as a follower of Jesus. I mean, you see, what he's doing is he's taking all the different ways that we have social connections with one another. And he's sublimating. He, he's reducing all of those less than our social connection of being Christians. That is our supreme social connection. The, the others are now set apart because God has overtaken them all and made us his people. All, all the forms of being a people have been suppressed now by being God's people. In order to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us into life. I mean, really, to live a life of worship together to, to be a people of worship that we we are proclaiming his excellencies in, in whatever way in what we say what we sing what we do uh, how we act we are proclaiming 
God's excellency. His marvelous light. His mercy in our lives. In all that we do together. A people who live each day with, with one another, led by a joy, a, a joy that is full of gratitude for Jesus. And nothing is to diminish that marvelous light. You know, Jesus said it a different way, but he said the same thing. They'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So what, what issues within you cause division among other Jesus followers? Uh, they're, and they're significant. They're important. You don't, just, you don't just throw them away. But they're not as important as the unity we have in Jesus. And the identity that we have as, as God's people together. And the opportunity and responsibility we have to demonstrate a witness to the world. What what are you doing to whet your appetite for Jesus? So that you are longing for Him. Those of you that are in growth groups, those are some of the questions that are coming your way. So I've already, already given you time of preparing uh, for that discussion. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have so much to celebrate as Jesus followers. Uh, That that every day, no no matter what, is is a gift from God and one in which we know we are secure because of the cross and the resurrection. The world needs desperately to see a people who are living according to something greater than the events going on around us. The the world needs a people who are longing for Jesus, putting aside the things that are differences, working through them, but recognizing our unity is in something greater than even our own commitments to anything else in this world. The world needs a people who demonstrate a pure heart of love towards one another. Committed to living together in God's marvelous light. What what a privilege and opportunity we have to be a part of that kind of people. In our world. May God indeed be glorified. Let's pray.